Father, we thank you this morning as we come before your holy word. We pray that the Holy Spirit himself will minister this word through me in simplicity and clarity of speech with precision and accuracy. And we thank you that the word will come in the fullness and in the power of your spirits. Bless your holy name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, we have been on a two-week hiatus from our current series on His Church, The Church, and we are glad to continue and be back on schedule. Amen. So over the past three installments, um, we have talked on part one. That was under the sub-theme, Definition and Features. We give the scriptural definition of the church, and we looked at certain features that marks the church. Amen. Part two, we looked at the sub-theme um, of ministry gifts of the church and their purpose, where we looked at the gift of the apostle and also talked of the evolving and expansive role of the prophet. Of all the gifts, I think the, the one that's more expansive and evolving is that of a prophet. And we actually stopped under the Old Testament. In part three, that was two weeks ago, we continued under the same sub-theme, Ministry Gifts of the Church and Their Purpose, and we wrapped up the gifts of the prophets under the New Testament, this current dispensation we are in. And uh, we also looked at the office of an evangelist. Amen. Today's, today's attempt is to wrap up the remaining gifts of the ministry uh, of in the pastor and the teacher. And then next week, we will look at the purpose of these gifts to the church. Amen. I advise that you listen to the previous recordings to refresh your memory or get up to speed, whichever is the case. Amen. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 I read, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Amen. So it's very important for us to know who are these gifts? Then next week we will look at why these gifts. Amen. So as and now we are just answering the question of who, and then next week we'll answer the question of why these gifts to the church at large. Amen. Now the first thing I want us to look at is the pastor. Amen. All right, so um, when you look at the word pastor, it comes from the Greek word poimen, P-O-I-M-E-N, uh, which means a headsman. It's especially used for a shepherd. Uh, the second definition is also a presiding officer in charge of an assembly, and this relates to a pastor. So the idea of a pastor came from a shepherd because of the many parallel rules. Now, a shepherd in the Near East was responsible for watching out the enemies of the sheep. So there were about seven distinct features that marked the shepherd. And this shepherd's role is very parallel to that of the pastor. That's why he's called a shepherd. He, um, so his first duty was to be responsible for watching out the enemies of the sheep. So if you are a shepherd, you had to be strong. 
because enemies of the sheep could range from anywhere from a hungry guy who wants a meal to predators like lions and bears and things like that. Secondly, you have to defend the sheep from attackers. Uh, thirdly, you have to heal the wounded and the sick, sick sheep. And, you know, one of the things that the shepherd had in his possession was wine and oil. Uh, wine in the sense that it was used to kill the wounds so that it will not fester into something else and oil in a sense that it was used to soothe the pain of the sheep so they had these two things that they used uh, you also had to learn how to find and save lost or trapped sheep so you gotta have a lot of patience with sheep sheep sincerely are very dull animals they are not very smart so you had to have a lot of patience bags of patience to be able to deal with sheep you also had to love them you, you had you had to love sheep share their lives you you had to be involved in that and you also had to end their trust you know a, a sheep is known to be very dull but its sensitivity is as heightened as a dog you know any small thing that you do to a sheep you can easily lose their trust so with this you see the same parallel to that of a shepherd he is responsible for watching out of the enemies of the sheep. You know, what are the enemies of the sheep or church members in particular? Uh, the world, uh, the devil. That's one. So when, you have, when, you, when God calls you into a shepherding ministry or a pastoral ministry, that is also your responsibility. You are to defend the sheep from attackers. There are many things that attack churches today. You know, skeptics, um, false doctrines all these are attackers and you have to be able to develop a high sense of sobriety and vigilance to be able to defend and for you to defend you have to be schooled in the word of god that's one of the ways you'll be able to defend if you know nothing you can't defend amen you also have to be involved in the healing and in the restoration of members among you you know which includes as ministering healing, not just in bodily form, but in all other aspects, soul and uh, spirit. Amen. You also have to find and save lost or trapped sheep. This is a lot of time. You, you, you have to love people, be vested in the welfare and the interest of people to be able to do that. You have to love them. You have to share your lives with them. And they also have to earn your trust. Amen. So with that said, let's now look at the first time the word "pomen" actually appears in the Bible in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. And I read, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Now, if you carefully read the first eight chapters of Matthew, you realize that Jesus operated as a prophet. He said, I, I came to fulfill the law. You see him operating as a teacher. He sat down and taught them. You know, when you read Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, that is a comprehensive, um, detailed analysis of Jesus' teaching ministry. You know, it, it is said that between these three chapters, Jesus spent actually two to three days just teaching them. 
He taught them on the Beatitudes. He taught them on how to pray. He taught them on postures and uh, right, right and wrong posture to develop during a time of fasting. He did all this. He talked about judge not so that you shall not be judged. He spent about two to three days with them, just teaching them. So you will see Jesus operating effectively too as a teacher. And then you saw him as an evangelist. The Bible says he went from place to place, just ministering, healing the sick, casting out devils, preaching in the synagogues, and teaching people. So you see Jesus moving in all these gifts. But when it comes to Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, it is the first time we saw his pastoral side. And the Bible lets us know that he was moved with compassion for a lost crowd because they were weary and scattered like one without a shepherd. Is it, is it any surprise that the word pastor is related with this verse? So it really makes me see a major sign of pastoring. A major sign of pastoring is love for the people. That's it. So a major sign of a pastor is not one who can preach or one who can teach. And, or even a man of integrity. All those things are good. But a very major sign of a pastor is compassion. You have to have love for the people. And compassion is an offshoot of love. God wants people moved with compassion to lead local assemblies. Because of all the five gifts, this is the office that requires dealing with people hands-on than any other office. Amen. Now, another sign of a pastor I want us to consider is in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, and I'll just paraphrase it. The Bible says that they watch out for your soul. That's the job of a pastor who is also known as a shepherd. So one sign of a pastor too that you have to notice that he is present. He's not a freelancer. He doesn't gallivant and move from country to country, from church to church. You know, I don't understand how you can call yourself a pastor. And then today you are preaching at this convention. Next week you are traveling. You are here. You are here. You are preaching here there. That is not the sign of a pastor. Honestly, a pastor is present. Let me even use this word because sometimes when you use this word, it doesn't even seem nice. You are local. Everybody wants to be global, amen? <laughs> but when you are a pastor, you are local. You are, you are local. You stay in one place. And what is your job? Your job is to preach, teach, feed the people so that they will grow and develop in the likeness of Christ. That takes time. You can't be going everywhere and preaching, amen? So when, when, you, are, when you are a pastor, when God has called you to be a pastor, you, you temper down your speaking engagement so that you can be present. Even if you are not preaching, you will have to be present. In all my years I've been pastoring, I've, the maximum I've been away has been two weeks. And it's happened on only two occasions. One, that was when I was burying my, my father. And the second was when my, my, my sister was getting married. That's all. Any other place, whenever I travel, and sometimes I do travel. I, I could do travel. I, I just spend a, a maximum of a week. I should be back. And sometimes 
I will be back before Sunday, and you don't even know I've even traveled or do anything of that sort. Because that is the sign of a pastor. You have to be present, and you can't be accepting every engagement. You you have to be present with your people because this job requires you being resident and you being there for the people. Amen. Even if you are not preaching. Now, when you look through the Bible carefully, Jesus was called the Good Shepherd. And the good shepherd actually means the good pastor. So Jesus called himself the good pastor. John chapter 10 verse 11. I I really pray that this year when we do our John series, we will come to John 10. We will learn some very powerful truths about Jesus as a pastor. But now Jesus is no longer called a good shepherd. Now he's in heaven. He is called the chief shepherd. And when you look at the Greek word of this chief, the word chief shepherd is interesting. Archpomain. It's just like archbishop. So Jesus is not just now a, a, a pastor now. He's now an archpoman. He's an archpastor. He is a chief shepherd. And why is he the chief shepherd? Because he's the one that will reward pastors one day when the end of this age is over. With that said, I really want us to look at some features of the pastor. Amen. So the ability to teach and feed God's people. Pastoring is a feeding ministry. In fact, of all the, 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 the skills that a pastor should have, or if you look at the criteria, everything, especially in First Timothy chapter 3, First Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 to 7, everything there has to do with be, that's character. Be this, be that, be this, be that, be a husband of one wife, be not a brawler, or be not a striker. Be hospitable. Everything has to be be. It's about character. It's only one that has to do with aptitude or skill. And that's the ability to teach. You know, King James Version uses the word apt to teach. So a pastor should have the ability to teach and feed God's people. If you can't, then you can't say you are a pastor. And a pastor flows in the gift of teaching. You know, that, that's why even when you read some contemporary versions of the Bible, it doesn't even differentiate the pastor and teacher very well. It, it just uses the word pastor-teacher. Most contemporary versions use just four, four they, 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 they define the types of ministry as four gifts, not five. But in fact, there is a, a big difference between being a pastor-teacher or being a teacher. So it's a huge difference. So normally, pe- um, people who God has called into the office of the pastor are also gifted in teaching. Let me read the scripture in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 10. They flow in the gift of teaching. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 10. Now, um, if you read from the preceding verses, God was angry uh, um, of the priest and the prophets. The Bible lets us know that they had been given to intoxicating drink and they have aired through wine and, you know, they, they aired in vision and, and they stumbled in judgment. And, and because of that, the Bible lets us know that their tables were full of vomit and filth and, and because they were that apathetic to the needs of the people, the people also wallowed in darkness. 
So the spiritual stupor in which Israel found themselves in in Isaiah chapter 28 was as a result of the priests and the prophets. And look at what God said in verse 10. And when you read verse 9, God was questioning, who is going to teach them knowledge? It's the priests and the prophets that will teach them knowledge, but they are drunk. And who will make them understand the message? Is it those who have just been weaned from milk? So people who are involved in teaching are not novices. The law says that the people who are going to teach the word of God are not those who have just been weaned from milk or those who have been drawn from breast. So novices or new converts per se should not be delegated the responsibility of teaching the word of God in a church setting. It doesn't mean you can't teach the word of God to your friends, but when it comes to an assembly, a, a group, a gathering of believers, the Bible lets us know that not those who have been weaned from milk or those who have just been weaned from the breast, where it talks about they just came into the Lord. But it has to be people who stand in certain offices. Now, God is going to explain it further. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. So that's how teaching is. When God calls you into the office of a pastor, you are gifted to be able to present the word of God, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. That's why most pastors tend to preach in a series, because that's how you'll be able to develop the church and grow the church so that people will grow in the likeness and in the fullness of Christ. Now, one of the things about a pastor is that he should be able to relate with different kinds of people. When you read 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1 to 20, there are different kinds of people there. And you will find all these in a local assembly. Um, older men. The Bible says that don't rebuke older men. Treat them as fathers. And likewise, the same with older women. Treat them as mothers. It talks about younger women. Treat the younger women as sisters. Nothing else but treat them as sisters. The younger men in the church, the Bible lets us know, treat them as brothers. Then it talks about widows. And when it talks about widows, the Bible says that they should be 60 and above. People who are reported of good works, who have been serviceable in the house of the Lord. But if they come from a family who are well off, let the family take care of them. But if these widows, they don't have any support system and they are disenfranchised, let the church take care of them. The sixth kind of category, the sixth category of people uh, Paul mentions are younger widows. That's below 60. Paul says that encourage them to marry. Otherwise, they will grow wanton in the faith and they will become busybodies. And then the seventh category of people there are your leaders, elders. The Bible says that when you receive an accusation against a leader, let it be two or more before you take it serious. And not just that, the Bible also talks that when you have church workers, honor them. The husbandman should not be deprived of his wages. Learn how to honor your leaders. That's a pastor. So when you're a pastor and when you have church workers, people who, who undergird the vision, who hold your hands and strengthen you in being able to do things, learn to honor them. And also when they are being accused, wait for two or more before you take the accusation serious. And then it talks about how you deal with your leaders. So when you become a pastor, you have to have 
some sense of emotional intelligence to be able to relate to different kinds of people. First Peter chapter 5, verse 3 also talks that pastors have to be an example to the church. Your lifestyle has to be an example to the church. And that's why in the earlier uh, scripture I asserted in First Timothy chapter 3, it talks about BBB. Be a husband of one wife. Be not given to one. Why? Because you are supposed to serve as an example to the church so that when the church looks at your example, they will grow in the knowledge and image of Christ. You have to also flow in the gifts of administration and leadership. If, if you read Acts chapter 6 verse 1 to 4, you realize that the church in Jerusalem experienced massive and explosive growth to the point that there were certain needs that were not being taken care of. And that was the widows. They were not being paid attention to. Apostle Peter flowed in the gift of leadership and administration and he said, Choose ye this day seven men who are filled with the Holy Spirit and with power or of faith. And we, it is not fitting that we attend to tables but we will give ourselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. And the Bible lets us know that they chose seven men who were filled with the Holy Spirit and with faith. And two popular ones were among the seven were Stephen and Philip. So that's the gift of leadership right there. And if you do remember when we read Romans chapter 12 verse 6, in the first installment when we outlined the gifts, one of the gifts that was mentioned in Romans chapter 12 was leadership. So when you are a pastor, you are to flow in the gift of leadership. When you read um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 too, another gift that was mentioned there was governments or administrations. You know, King James is the word governments. Contemporary versions is the word administration. So a uh, pastor, you also have to flow in the gifts of administration and leadership. So what Peter was doing there was exercising the gifts of administration and leadership. That's why he was able to call other people and put them into office and set things in order. They also have to flow in the gift of exaltation. When you read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, and let me paraphrase it, it says, comfort the feeble-minded. You, you have to learn how to exalt people and encourage people. And as much as you have to know how to preach doctrine, there are times too you also have to learn how to be an encourager. You know, last year was a very tough year. It was a very unexpected year. If you were 100 years and over, this is not new to you. But most of us were under 100, and this was like a very new thing to us. We experienced a pandemic. It's never happened like what we have, we have seen. You know, people were dying. People were losing jobs. You have to learn how to preach encouraging messages. Sometimes, during that time, when you preach doctrine, they won't get it. You have to learn how to encourage them. And that's why it's important. That's why even if you pay particular attention, the first eight months or so, I just had to preach exhortation. I just had to preach encouraging messages. You know, how, how, uh, peace. You have to preach your messages like stand. You have to preach your messages like effective fervent prayer. Because during this time, these are times to pray. You, you have to preach messages that will encourage and spruce up the people. It's very important. It's a very strong feature of a pastor. You have to be able to flow in the gift of exhortation. And when we read Romans chapter 12, we realized that 
exaltation is one of the gifts that is mentioned. Another thing that a pastor also needs is you need the gift of helps to run effectively a local assembly. Acts chapter 6 verse 5 to 7. If you do remember 1 Corinthians chapter 12, one of the gifts outlined there was the gift of helps. And what are helps? Associate pastors, volunteers, paid or non-paid. All these are helps. The pastor cannot function on his own. He would need the gifts of helps to be able to run effectively a local assembly. And sometimes prophets and evangelists, they also come in the form of helps because they also serve on the leadership board of a church. Character is key. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 to 5 and verse 7. And we've talked about that. And then the last thing that I want to talk about, the feature of a pastor is that he should not be a novice. He should not be inexperienced. First Timothy chapter 3, verses. Because if you are inexperienced, the Bible says you will be lifted up with pride, just like the devil, Lucifer, was. Amen. Now, let's look at the teacher and features. Now, the teacher has to do with anyone who teaches concerning the things of God. Amen. They are normally involved in bringing sound doctrine to the church. Another word for a teacher is master, doctor, or instructor. You know, a teacher is an instructor. He's also a doctor. Why is he a doctor? He's a doctor because he's involved in doctrine. That's why he's a doctor. He's not a doctor because he has a PhD. Or he's done medicine. MD. He's a doctor because he's involved in doctrine. And if he's involved in doctrine, he's a doctor. Amen. So, um, features of a teacher. Let me just go through that. Teachers don't establish churches or pastor them. So, what does it take to become a pastor or a shepherd of a local assembly? It's love for the people. So, it's not just enough to just know how to preach and know how to teach. That is very important. A very important skill, but it takes more than teaching to establish a church, one, and number two, to pastor a church. So there are some teachers, they should not be pastors. They should just serve as teachers and probably serve on the leadership board. So a teacher doesn't establish a church or pastor a church. Their main job is discipleship. Titles chapter 2, verse 1 to church. Verse 1 to 10, I'm sorry, not verse 1 to church, verse 1 to 10. Now, a teacher also serves in a church assembly or he's an itinerant speaker. A typical example is Apollos. In Acts chapter 18, verse 24 to 28, you realize that Apollos served in a local church assembly. And number two, he was an itinerant speaker. He was moving from city to city, preaching the gospel. And in his expedition, he met Aquila and Priscilla, who decided to teach him about Christ. And then he changed this message from preaching about old, old covenants, the law, and started preaching about Christ. So you realize that Apollos right there was itinerant, but at the same time, he also served in a church assembly. Teachers also serve in, in, in leadership in the church. When you read Acts chapter 13, verse 1 to 3, the leadership of the church was made of teachers and prophets. And these gifts of offices, they merged together and they prayed believing God on what step to take next and the Bible lets us know that after much prayer and fasting they decided to separate Paul and 
Silas to go and do the work of God, and that is to minister to the Gentiles. So teachers also serve in church leadership. They might not be pastors, but they can serve in church leadership. What, what will make a teacher become a pastor is when he also has the gift of pastoring. So pastors are teachers, but not all teachers are pastors. <clears throat> I hope I make myself clear on that. One thing that you have to know about teachers is that they are also involved in doctrine and difficult subject matters of the Bible. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. The Bible says, study to show yourself approved unto God. You know, a workman, you don't have to be uh, ashamed. You have to be able to rightly divide the word of truth. And then when you read verses 24 to 26 of that same chapter, the Bible talks about the teacher being able to answer a question and then leaving the, the audience to God perhaps they will come to a place of repentance. So one thing about a teacher is that he answers very difficult questions. I quite remember in Ghana, in our Sunday school, I just, I just start to laugh because when you ask the teacher any question outside the, 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 the outline, the Bible says, he just gets angry. He just, he just gets angry. You know, he had no patience. <laughs> At first, he's angry. We have to finish the outline. You know, he, he could never... And, and when you ask him a question, he always thinks that you are challenging his authority. You know? Uh, and I do remember one, one of the members who is even right here. He used to be in the class and always used to bring the class to a mayhem. We, ne we never finished our outline. In fact, when he doesn't see that particular person, he's very happy. Yeah, I mean, he just breathes a sigh of relief that... Ah, today this guy didn't come because because whenever he came to the class we will never finish our outline and why because you know when you ask him a question that is a bit difficult and something that's not in the outline he just gets angry that's not the gift of a teacher amen the, the, a gift of a teacher is that he's involved in doctrine and difficult subject matters not just subject matters but difficult subject matters the average, the, the, what the average church member will not be able to understand, that is where the gift of teaching comes in. And let me even give a typical example. Ravi Zacharias, if you listen to him, look at the difficult questions that he's been asked. But he always got an answer because that is the gift of teaching. When God calls you into the office of a teacher, with its accompanying gifts is the ability to answer very difficult subject matters. Paul too is another one. Paul was a great teacher. He wasn't just an apostle. He was also a teacher. Amen. Teachers like prophets are also able to flow in revelation and vocal gifts. Now, we have nine gifts of the spirits. Word of, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, designing of spirits, uh, faith, Gifts of healing, working of miracles, tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. There are nine. So now when we talk about the revelation and vocal gifts, like I said, the spiritual gifts are grouped in classes of three. There is the revelation gift, which is made up of designing of spirits, words of wisdom and knowledge. Then we have the vocal gifts, which is made up of Tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. Then we have the power gifts, which is also made up of gifts of healing, 
working of miracles, and then faith. But teachers specifically flow in six of the nine. They flow in words of wisdom and knowledge, designing of spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. Because the word of God is prophetic in nature. You know, the Bible says that we have this sure word of God, this prophetic word, this sure word of prophecy. The word of God is prophecy. You know, so any teacher that does not believe in the gifts of the Spirit and in, in the Holy Spirit, your, your teaching is susceptible. Because real teachers, real teachers who are born out of the New Testament, they flow in revelation and vocal gifts. It's very strong. Most teachers who teach the Word of God have a very strong sense of revelation. They have words of wisdom and knowledge and they are able to discern spirits. Teachers who are really called of God, they are able to flow in vocal gifts. They prophesy because teaching is prophecy. That's number one. It's prophecy you are exalting. They, they, they are also able to speak in tongues and they are also able to interpret tongues. So that's a strong feature of a teacher. Amen. More, more features of the teacher. They are apologists. And what's an apologist? Someone who defends the truth. And for you to defend the truth, you need to really be schooled and know a lot about that particular area. So let's say you are defending the truth of Jesus is the son of God. You, you have to know a lot. You have to cover all your bases about why you believe Jesus is the son of God. A typical example is Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Apostle Paul believed and defended the truth of the resurrection of Christ. It's not a myth. It's a real thing. Jesus resurrected from the dead He's ascended at the right hand of the Father and he's going to come again and we are going to partake of the resurrection. He's an apologist. He defended that truth. And why was Paul able to defend that truth? Because he knew. Teachers are readers. When you read 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, um, Apostle Paul talked about before I come again, that he was uh, speaking to Timothy, give yourself to reading. Give yourself to reading. He, he told, told Timothy, give yourself to reading. He said, Timothy was a pastor. He, he was in charge of the church of Ephesus. You know, and he was uh, advising Timothy, you have to give yourself to reading. Give attendance to reading. Exhortation. Give yourself to these things. He's, and he told him, meditate on these things. Give yourself wholly that your profiting will be evident to all. That's verse 14. Now, when you read 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, Apostle Paul, he was about to die. You know, Apostle Paul's last letter he wrote was 2 Timothy, and then he was killed. He was beheaded by Emperor Nero. And before Apostle Paul was about to die, he said, when you are coming, bring me the books, the parchments. These are the things. Apostle Paul was a teacher. A teacher loves reading. You spend time reading. And you spend time reading relevant stuff. Things that have to do with your calling. Things that have to do with knowing the word and how to interpret scriptures rightly. Because the interpretation of scripture, there is also an art to it. It's not just, you will just sit down and the Holy Spirit will just drop ideas. That is also there. But there's also another side of teaching that is an art form. And sometimes you need to read things that are 
relevant to your calling. Amen. They are authors most of the time. Anybody who has a strong teaching gift normally writes books. Amen. Uh, you know, there is a difference between an evangelist writing a book and a teacher writing a book. It, it's a huge difference. I don't know if, if you really observe that, you will know. Galatians chapter 6 verse 11 is a typical example. One of the reasons why Apostle Paul was able to pen many books was because he operated in a strong teaching ministry. John chapter 16 verse 13 is also a very important scripture I want us to note in a feature of the teacher. He relies on the Holy Spirit's guidance and inspiration to instruct effectively. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit, he will guide us and lead us into all truth. Your teaching ministry will be very ineffective. Your teaching ministry will become like a college professor if you ignore the help and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a very important one to note. A teaching ministry is often authenticated by signs and wonders. John chapter 3 verse 2. Now Nicodemus was a teacher of the law. He met Jesus. And when he met Jesus, he said, no one can do these things. And what things was he talking about? He said, I know that you are a teacher because of the signs and wonders you have in your ministry. Is it this a teacher talking to a teacher? Is it Jesus was a teacher and Nicodemus was also a teacher? And when Nicodemus met Jesus, he was not necessarily impressed about how well he could articulate and put across the Bible and interpret it rightly and all that. That is, that is very important. But what ministered to Nicodemus, a teacher of the law, was Jesus was a teacher who flowed in signs and wonders. So if you're a teacher and if you don't believe in the charisma, the, 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 the charisma of the Holy Ghost, Something is wrong. Something is wrong. I, I want to be like Jesus. And, and in Jesus' teaching ministry, if there were signs and wonders that authenticated his ministry, I also want that. Amen. And throughout the whole Bible, when you read the Bible carefully, especially the Gospels, Matthew to John, Jesus was often referred to as a teacher more than any title. He was called master 40 times, which means teacher. Aside that, he was also called Rabboni. He was called rabbi, and then he was called teacher. You see, Jesus flowed in all the gifts. He flowed in the gifts of an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Of all the gifts, the one that he was referred mostly to was a teacher. Amen. I hope this morning we were blessed. So, as I said earlier on, we've seen who they are, and next week we'll answer why the gifts to the assembly of believers. Amen. So now we know the gifts. We thank God for the gifts. We thank God for the gift of the apostle, the gift of the prophet, the gift of the evangelist, the gift of the pastor, and the gift of the teacher. Can we begin to thank God? God is a good God. He, he, he gave all these assorted array of gifts just for us. He could have just given us just one gift. That, that would have been enough. But he, it's just for a reason. They all have their unique peculiarities. But can we begin to thank God that he had us in mind why he gave these gifts? Let's begin to thank God this morning. Thank you, Lord. We give you praise. 
give you praise. Thank you for blessing us with these gifts. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We thank you for the respective offices of ministry, O oh Lord, you have given to the local church as gifts. We receive them, Lord. We thank you, O oh Lord. Thank you for the apostle who is God's messenger and delegate sent forth to us. We thank you for the prophet who is God's spokesman or guide to us. We thank you for the evangelist who is a herald of the gospel. We thank you of the pastor who is a shepherd and we thank you of the teacher who is an instructor. We receive these gifts, O Lord. Thank you, O Lord. We receive them and we honor them, Lord. We thank you that these gifts have been sent for the betterment of the church and for our prophets. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Offering time is joy time. A hand over to Pastor Roberts. Amen. <laughs>